pastor here and director of Impact Ministries, um, partnering with our student ministry here to, to reach this generation. And as you may have known when you walked in and, and have seen on your bulletins, renovatus is our, our theme, uh, Latin for to renovate or to restore. And so many times in our personal lives, uh, as we progress spiritually toward God, we need restoration and renovation. We get tarnished and we need to, uh, to clean our spiritual lives out and clean ourselves up in order to, to take that next step closer to God. And in addition um, to just personal growth, there's also corporate growth. There are times our ministries need transformed and changed in order to be successful in pursuing God in the next season of life. And even our facilities at times need renovation and, and restoration. If you're a homeowner, you understand that well, that over time things begin to fall apart. And unless there's attention given to them to restore them, they lose the quality and the beauty that they originally had. And our goal as a church is to continually continually pursue God so that we are beautiful to Him, both um, individually and collectively as a church. And so you're going to hear over the next four weeks a message series on the individual parts, on how we need to renovate our own spiritual journeys in order to come closer to God so that we can take that next step toward Him. In addition, each week you're going to hear about ministries and um, facility changes that we're going to be making in order to renovate our church so that we as a body can continue to move forward and become the bride of Christ that God has called us to be. Uh, we want to start this series by focusing on two very important ministry areas. If you're a parent, grandparent, you know these very well, of children's ministry and our student ministry and how they are, th that our church thrives on those two areas. And so we want to focus this morning on some of the renovations that you're going to be hearing about and seeing over the next few weeks. First, we're going to talk children's ministry. This is our children's ministry director, Kimmy Barker. And um, Kimmy, I'm just going to ask you to share in the next couple of minutes just what are some of the exciting renovations that are happening within our children's ministry that our church needs to know about? Awesome. Uh, well, I'd say the first one I want to start out with is we'll be um, having a new name. Uh, we'll be starting uh, next week with the UBU Children's Ministry. And UBU stands for You Be Who God's Created You to Be. And that's really what we want to do in everything that we do in the children's ministry is teaching our kids to be who God's created them to be. Um, and our vision is the UBU ministry is to come alongside parents using biblical truth to help children discover who God is and who they are in Christ. Um, even from when they are first born in the nursery and toddler class and the preschool class, as they're discovering all these new things in their, in their worlds, uh, we want to help them discover uh, God in that process as well. And then also as they get into the elementary school ages, helping them uh, discover who they are in Christ and what that looks like and how that can, how they once they discover who God is, how that translates into who they are. Um, that's a very, very exciting uh, new, new renovation coming up. And then also we have uh, just some, I guess, technical changes. Um, we'll be changing classrooms, uh, which is very exciting. We'll be moving the nursery and toddlers out of that, uh, the back area over here by the women's restrooms. They'll be coming out into the main area in room 201, which is the one by the donuts. All the kids know where that is. Mm -hmm room 201, and uh, we, we really felt that was a great move um, just to be more welcoming for visitors um, and for new parents, um, bringing them out here into the main area. Um, so all the classrooms will be different. Uh, next week is the shift, which is where all the kids kind of graduate and go to the next uh, grade, just kind of like in school years. Um, so next week when you come, we'll have a bunch of signs and stuff to tell you where to go, but just know that your kids will be in a different classroom starting next week. 
Um, what else do we have? Oh, we are adding a, a pre-K kindergarten class, and uh, we're doing that because we want to be able to let the teachers have a smaller group of kids to be able to pour into and focus on. So we're really excited about uh, that division as well. One of my personal favorite changes, uh, last fall we started Children's Church for Second Service, um, and we've had really great response from all the teachers and the kids um, with that, that programming. Uh, the kids love worship, worship time. Um, it's fun teaching them uh, how to worship, and uh, they love all the songs, and uh, we have intro videos, which are very interactive with them, and it's really fun uh, seeing all the questions that they ask. Uh, your kids are amazing, I got to tell you. There's some smart cookies in there. <laughs> Sometimes they ask me questions, and it stumps me, and I have to, oh, okay, um, and then I can be able to answer, but it's really, really fun. So with the success that we've had with Children's Church Second Service, we're going to be going to Children's Church for two services, and in case you're wondering, we'll be doing two different curriculums, so if your kids are here, if you're serving one service and then attending the next service, we'll be having, they'll hire two different lessons if they chance happen to be in here for both services so very excited yeah very cool in in that children's church renovation process can you talk a little bit about how um, while it, it children's church is bigger than a classroom setting it still stays small and what the you know small group perspective is on a children's ministry um, when, when we're doing children's church absolutely um, how we have it set up now is uh, either I or my husband or some other wonderful individual will teach the lesson and then we will have a lot of application questions or uh, questions to, to repeat the lesson to help them, the students, uh, hear it. And they each grade will have a teacher that they sit in a small group with who they have that discussion with. Um, and we like that just like we are dividing them up into smaller groups. We like that because it gives more kids an opportunity to uh, answer the questions and to share their experiences um, in that type of setting. Yeah, that's great. And as even as a parent, I'm not sure if you heard some, some things that just resonate with me of just partnering with us as parents that our, ch our children's ministry is is driving toward that as well as just offering that biblical content and those stories um, in addition to keeping the group smaller so that our kids all have a face, have a name, are known and um, can be known in the groups while at the same time being able to participate in a larger group. And I know uh, my daughter, Sunny, has snuck in a couple times to Children's Church when she's here, both services, and the worship already is influencing her from the first time that she went in and, and is watching the way that worship's happening in Children's Church. She's leaving, singing one of the songs, and now it's on repeat in our car over and over and over and over. So um, one way Jesus is just continually playing in, in our car, so I can't wait till they release new DVDs um, <laughs> in that program. But it's, it's awesome because it, I would much rather have my daughter singing worship songs than you know, singing meaningless songs during the week, and it's just so catchy. So it's a great job so far, and I'm excited about the renovations that are taking place. And, and as those are, are starting in our children's ministry, we're not stopping there. Our student ministry is continuing um, that theme of renovation. And this is Brian Monifo, our, our youth pastor, and he's going to share the next couple minutes just what are the highlights that you want to share of just uh, you know, renovations that are happening within our student ministry. Sure. Well, one of the biggest renovations that we're making is um, our vision and mission for our student ministry. And uh, last night we had a meeting where we pitched this new vision, and we're really excited about it. Uh, the vision is to know God and to make Him known. Um, something simple, but man, it's powerful to know that every day we have the choice to know Him more and then to make Him known. And we feel that those two things, if we really own that in our student ministry, we'll have students who are really championing the kingdom of God and moving forward. Um, by doing it. And so how we want to do that is our mission, and our mission is four words. It's center, deepen, sacrifice, and influence. We want students to be able to center their lives on God. 
We want them to deepen their love for the Word of God, sacrifice for the needs of others, and then to influence their peers around them in their generation. And so we feel that those four key words are really going to help us uh, meet our vision uh, of knowing God and, and making Him known. So uh, the biggest highlight in renovation in our student ministry from 6th through 12th is uh, a new vision and mission, and we're really going to be pushing that forward uh, this school year. Um, some of the other renovations that we're having is uh, in the Edge, which is um, uh, Sunday morning program. We're transitioning that, uh, which this coming Sunday with the shift of uh, grades 5th through 6th. So if you're in 5th through 6th, you're going to be going to the Edge, which is over in the warehouse in that building. Um, we'll also be offering that both services. Um, the, we've had great leadership be a part of the Edge, and we're going to continue to build upon that and do um, great things this uh, school year as we look to offer that both services. Um, and just even in the insert, the green page in the insert, check that out. We've got some different things as to what we want each of these programs to be about. Um, and so the Edge is on Sunday morning. We also have Fusion, which is our junior high program, um, grades 6 through 8. Um, and there's really three main words that we really want Fusion to own. And we thought, what do we want students to experience when they come to Fusion? And those three words are we want them to, to find refuge, belonging, and we want them to, to know God on a deeper level by finding adventure. We really feel like those three words are what students need at that age. And so that's what Fusion is going to be. Um, Veritas, which is our senior high, uh, 9th through 12th, uh, we have three words, again, that we really feel like Veritas captures, and that's um, truth, identity, and um, we, again, we believe that God is going to do amazing things through authenticity. Uh, we want it to be a community of authenticity. So those three words for Veritas as well. Um, I'm so excited to be serving with the students this year. I feel like there's more momentum than I've ever had. Uh, this year of just students being excited about the, the ministry, the programs, and where it's going, and the vision, and the students are loving it. So um, there's a lot of renovations, but man, more than ever, I've been excited, and I think the students are too. Sure. Um, you say to know God and to make God known. I know the to make God known part is a lot about impact groups. Um, talk a little bit about the renovations that are happening there. Sure. And there's a lot of renovations even happening in impact. And a lot of people have asked me, come and said, you know, um, Brian, I've heard great things about Veritas. I've heard great things about impact. They're both high school, so how do, how do they work together? Um, and this is also part of our vision. We've, we really look at to know God is Veritas. We want Veritas to be about discipleship, worship, and fellowship, where it's really about um, centering and deepening yourself in God and who He is. And that's what Veritas is going to be on Sunday nights from 6 to 8. And then what impact is, is we want it to be the sacrifice and influence. We want it to be evangelical, and that's what impact is. It's, it's bridging the gap between youth culture and the church. It's, it's reaching out to those students who might not otherwise come to church when you invite them, but if you have an event outside of church, they're going to be more prone to come to that. And so we've really utilized impact over the past many years here at Grace Chapel, and it's been a huge success, and we've got a lot of momentum moving forward. One of the biggest uh, excitements for me in our student ministry is we've got Adam Geringer, who's going to be coming in on as the uh, Mason uh, Campus Impact Director. Um, he's a great guy. Students are already getting connected with him and love him. So we're expecting great things out of him this year. Uh, so we're really moving with, um, with a lot of impact groups this school year, and uh, there's just so much momentum with the students getting excited about how to, how to build God's kingdom um, through impact. Right. And uh, you, there may be renovation for you in just all the terminology that we just threw out there of all the, the names of programs. Again, the insert in the bulletin can help with some of that. Um, Brian just led a great parent vision night last night for our um, parents of junior high and high school students. And, and if you are a parent and weren't able to make that, feel free to touch base with him and just see uh, the details of the how, how we're making these renovations happen. Because the, our children's ministry and our student ministry are really moving forward and are going to set the pace for how um, 
this church can influence the kingdom of God. They, they want to take that on and say, we, we want to champion this next generation. As we do that, you're going to see a lot of not just programming renovations, but physical things happening. Uh, if we're going to move classrooms in children's ministry, there's going to be a little bit of a mess while we move classrooms. Please be patient with us and know that's part of the renovation process. As you walked in, you may have seen the busted up sidewalk that's outside of the warehouse. That's part of the renovation process. And know those rocks aren't going to stay there. As soon as you pick up a few and take them home with you today, they'll be gone. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> But as soon as we, we are doing a landscaping project outside, we're painting on the 21st. The outside of that building, inside of the warehouse, is being painted on the 28th. We're finishing up electrical. We're changing all kinds of aspects of the face of that building um, behind us. And so just know there are, there, we're, pardon our mess, but we're not really sorry because we know that this is driving the kingdom forward, and it's going to drive our church forward, and you're invited to get your hands dirty with us um, in this renovation process. So we want to highlight a couple of ministry areas. We also want to highlight another aspect as we continue to worship, and that is that this gathering, we want to renovate it a little bit. Um, we want this to be multi-generational as we worship together, and you'll see that we're strategically inviting 7th grade through 150-year-olds in here. If you're 151, sorry. Um, but uh, we're inviting all those ages to worship together in this room and we want to engage every generation in worship not just from the seats but also from interacting with worship and if you were here last week you saw students on stage leading the music part of our worship and this morning we want to uh, to take a next step forward and we want to read scripture but we want you to hear scripture read through the voice uh, of a, a middle school student, a junior high student that is going to share. And so Dylan's going to come and share uh, the Word of God. And I want to invite you to stand with us as we read God's Word together and as you hear his, his story spoken through one of his children. Hello. Uh, today we'll be reading a, a section in Psalms. And it is Psalms 51, verses 1 through 10. And it starts off this way. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proven right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my in iniquity. Create me in a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I wonder how many of us could have gotten up here at uh, that age and done that. Um, fantastic job, both services. You know, people say the, you know, the youth are the, the church of tomorrow. Well, they won't be a part of the church of tomorrow if we don't make them a part of the church of today. And it's exciting to have our students engaged and involved in the service with us. This is going to continue. It's not just a one-time type of thing. We're going to do like a little, you know, this is going to continue. We want our 
We want our junior high and high school students engaged and involved within the body of Christ, helping to lead worship, being a part of this worship service. So it's really exciting to see that happen. Um, this morning we're beginning a new series. Um, it's, it's hopefully been an exciting series. Over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing about how God is working through us as a church to renovate, to restore, to renew the church, and to prepare us for the future. So you're going to see, like Chris was saying, the renovations physically, and we're going to have renovations, you know, within our own hearts, and, and that's going to be exciting for us to be a part of all this. And the series is called Renovatus. It's the Latin word, as Chris said, for to renovate, to renew, and that's what we want to be a part of our lives. So if you hear that, if you see that word, renovatus, I want you to own that word. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about the church, because we can talk all day long about how we're going to uh, renovate the church and all the things we're going to do here and all the things we're going to do there, but until we are open and we realize that the renovation that really needs to take place needs to take place in our own hearts then this series is going to be another series that comes and goes. Oh, yeah, remember that? It was a cool poster out in the foyer. That'll be the end of it. We want to make sure that Renovatus happens in our hearts, that it's a part of who we are, that there's transformation happening in our lives because we are the church. The building, the huge building back here, a 40,000-square-foot building we're renovating back here, the Grace Impact Center, it's a great building, but it's not the church. You are the church. I am the church. And for real renovatus to take place in our church, it needs to take place in our lives. In Psalm 51, David asked God to create in him a pure heart, to create in him a clean heart, because true change begins in the heart. That is where it all starts. That's where it all takes place. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 45, it reminds us of that. It says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And then in Matthew chapter 15, in verse 19, it says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. The question that we have to face this morning is, how are we going to change our hearts? It's not easy. How are we going to bring about change in our own hearts? Now, from a human perspective, when human beings try to bring about change in, in, in their lives, they usually do it in two different ways, two major ways. There's other ways, but two major ways. The, force, the first is they try to force change in their lives and the lives of others. They try to force this change to happen. They say things like, get your act together. You need to get your act together. That's the problem with you. You know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Get your act together. I love that new Geico commercial. You guys like those Geico commercials? I do. Where you got the drill sergeant, sergeant who's a therapist. And he says, you know, hey, why don't we go to Mamby Pamby land and, you know, get you some self-confidence. And he takes a tissue box and the guy's crying. He goes, want a tissue? And he throws the box across the room. And, he, you know, it's like that's how we come at it some ways. We're going to change. We're, we'll, I'll make a change in your life somehow forcing that upon you. I'll pressure you. I'll force you. I'll use words and I'll use all these things to bring about that kind of change. You know, sometimes we try to change our children from the outside in. And we kind of, this whole, what I'm talking about here is leaving God out of the equation. 
We want to change our, be- our children's behavior from the outside in. How many people here have ever had your mouth washed out with soap? I'm telling you, it's amazing. In first service, too, there was a whole lot of people had their mouths washed out with soap. I think that right now, I don't think that would go over too well. But, um, but, you know, it happened to a lot of people, and the idea there is to change that behavior. Now, I'm not saying your parents were, te- it was terrible, but alone, what I've found, my experience, in my experience, the use of outward force alone, that's important, you know, just alone, can produce some outward conformity, but, but it, 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 it does very little to change the heart. You know, you know, you've seen people like this where they, are, they have their thumb on their kids, they have their, their, they're really emotionally or, or verbally you know, hitting other people so hard, and they're trying to bring about that change in their person's life. But in my experience, that kind of, that, that kind of outwardness in trying to change a person's life it doesn't really do that much to change the heart. Have you ever seen, I mean, how many of us have used timeout? Nothing wrong with timeout. It's a good, good way to, to discipline our children. And so you put your child in timeout. How many of you put your children in timeout and all of a sudden a little whole halo goes over their head and they have the greatest attitude and their heart changes completely? Is that what happens? Or they sit there in timeout? You know what's going on in their heart. You physically ch- you stop them from running or stop their behavior on the outside, but on the inside, what have you done? I mean, sometimes you haven't done much unless you sit down and explain why you're doing what you're doing. I mean, I, I, there's a story of a little boy running around the bank and the mom just has her, you know, at her wit's end and she takes the child and she puts him in timeout and sticks him in the chair. And the child basically says to his mom, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm running around on the inside, Right? Isn't that what happens? We try to force that change on the outside. You can force me and stop me from doing something, but it has done nothing to change my heart, to renovate my heart, to renew and restore my heart. And that's what we're talking about. Jesus, Jesus confronts this type of behavior that he sees in the Pharisees. He goes to the Pharisees and, you know, they're trying to change the heart of people from the outside in. The Pharisees had a very intense, um, uh, you know, discipline that went on when someone was misbehaving. So if there's misbehavior going on in a person's life, they were, they, you know, they really, they came down on it from the outside in. And Jesus confronts them in this. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, he says this, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, he says, you hypocrites. See, but the, the thing that the Pharisees didn't have that Jesus had was Jesus could see in a man. Jesus knew it was in a person's heart. So he says, you know, woe to you, you Pharisees and teachers of the law. You hypocrites, he says, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. They had it all together on the outside, walked around, had laws around laws around laws, and they thought they had it all down. And Jesus said, you all look fine on the outside, but you are just dead man's bones on the inside, and you're filled with everything unclean. That was a big-time insult. They thought they had it all together, and he says, you have nothing together. You look like, you know, in the church, you think those Pharisees, but don't we do the same thing sometimes in our modern churches? You know, new people come walking in, and everyone looks just as holy, and I'm telling you, your kids never act up because they're Christian kids, and you're a perfect parent. You never fight with your spouse because you're both perfect. You know what I mean? And those poor people come in here, and they're surrounded by perfection. I wouldn't stay if I with them either. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, those sinners. What a pack of sinners coming through the door, unlike the rest of us. Perfect people. 
You know what I mean? And that's what happens. We have that air on the outside. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. You know, you may, look, you may look clean on the outside. You may look clean, but, but you are not clean on the inside. All right, the second, and some today would say the more enlightened approach to bring about change in people's lives would be the path of self-help. You know what I'm talking about. If, if you just go get that latest book from, you know, from Borders, your life would be transformed. You'd be changed. You could ch oh, change your whole life. That new book will come out. And next week, it'll be another new book. And a week after that, and you keep reading, and you keep reading, and you keep reading because you're trying to find what's going to... Because, you know, in there, if you just visualize your children being perfect, they're going to be perfect. So, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the latest book. You know what? If, if, if you just go to that seminar that comes through town, it's, you know, every couple of years, you, you know, if you just went to that right seminar, that would truly transform your life. Uh, or, or more importantly, you know what we need to do? We really, we really need, to, we need to, to, to use our willpower. That's it, willpower. If you read the book and go to the seminar and use your willpower, oh my goodness, transformation, here we come right? Because it's inside. Get my bootstraps. I mean, New Year's resolutions, are, that's perfect. New Year's is perfect example of what I'm talking about. You have well-meaning people making resolutions, and they sincerely want to better themselves. I mean, it's, so this is a sincere desire. So New Year's, every New Year's, you get people saying, oh, I'm a boy, I'm going to make this, I'm going to change, I'm going to do better. And the abusive husband tells his wife, this will never happen again. Because I, you know, I have decided in my, I am going to, I'm going to, I'm never going to do this again. And the, and the alcoholic or the drug addict says, this is the, la this is the last time I ever get drunk. This is it. This, this, that was my last drink. That was my last whatever. And they're sincere about it. And they really are. And they're saying, this, it's over. Now, you can see some, you will see, and you've seen this before, you see some change. You see some external um, excitement that happens. You know, there's some, there's some things that happen in their lives, and there's this excitement that goes on. And, and, but the reality is, it's not long-lived. It's very short-lived. They fall back. They, they fall back into old habits. They, they, fall, they, they basically relapse, and they go back into their old habits, which ultimately leads them to despair because they read the book, they went to the seminar, they did all the things they were supposed to do, and they have the willpower, and they said it was the last time, and the last time, and the last time, and the last time. And ultimately, that leads to despair because they're, you, they're doing everything they can to change their hearts. My friends, outside of God, that's all you're doing. It's like pounding and pounding and pounding and never getting anywhere. You get a change and you fall back. You get a change and you relapse. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, you really tried to change. You really tried to change your heart. You really tried to change your life. But then ultimately... It was failure. You failed, and you're like, my goodness. I mean, I, I really tried, and it just shows you. It shows you the strength. It shows you the stubborn power of an unclean heart. It shows you what you're truly dealing with. You know, we get this idea that, oh, it's not, you know, I'm not that bad, or this is not that bad. It just shows you how strong a heart, an unclean heart can be to pull you back down. I will never do this again until tomorrow. I will never do that again until next week. 
Because your heart, that stubborn, that stubborn heart, that unclean heart is so strong, it keeps pulling you back. And it keeps pulling you back. Paul wrote in Romans 7, 24, and this is Paul, okay? This is, we talk about Paul. Paul's a hero to many of us. Paul's the man. This is what Paul wrote. Paul said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. If you and I saw Paul walking around at that time in history, we would not say, oh, what a wretched man he is. Paul's saying that about himself because Paul knows his own heart. You know, you, when you compare yourself to Hitler, you're looking pretty good, right? You look, if I compare myself to that bum over there, the guy sitting across over there, boy, oh man, I'm looking pretty good. When you compare yourself to Hitler, everybody looks pretty good. When you compare yourself to Jesus Christ, oh, what a wretched man I am, Paul said. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Paul knew his own heart. He was comparing himself to Christ. And he's saying, who can rescue me from this body of death? How can I overcome this heart? I, I, I know Christ in my heart, but it's still a battle within me. Well, the answer is not, uh, you know, another dose of willpower, another dose of bootstrapping. That's not the answer. The answer is not that somehow you can dig down a little bit deeper or, or you know what, more than that, you know what's going to help you, really help you? I'll tell you, stronger rules and more, more laws, that's going to really, that's going to bring about the change. That's not going to bring about the change. First church I was ever in as a pastor, the senior pastor of the church, I was a youth pastor, told me I couldn't go to the theater. Couldn't go. Bambi was playing? Nope. Rated G? Nope. The Passion of the Christ could have been playing, and we couldn't go to the theater because the theater was evil. You know, how, you know how that went over? I kid you not. People, all the people in the church would go like three towns over and go to the movies there. You know what I'm saying? When they want to go to the movies. You know, and it was like, oh, no, if you saw someone, you know, coming out, it's like, you know, you don't tell, I won't tell kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? They wouldn't go to the movies, but they went. But they went to the movies. So these laws, more laws and more rules, and that's not going to bring about the kind of change that the Bible talks about. This is not the kind of change that we want to see if we're going to do renovatus, if we're going to renovate our lives. That is not what's going to bring it about. The psalmist uses two words, two words to depict God's two-step transformation. This is how God transforms a person's lives. Create and renew. Create and renew. The word create here is the same word that's used in, in, in Genesis when they were talking about the creation of the world. So create, he says, create in me a clean heart. See, when God, when God connects us to Jesus by faith, a truly new heart begins to beat in us. A new will is, is born a new life has started, really a new, it's a new heart, it's a new life, it's a new will that God puts in us, and from the inside out, we truly begin to change through the power of Christ living in us. So he says, create in me, David says, create in me a clean heart. It's, it's a rebirth, it's a renewal, that's what he's looking for. And then he uses a second word, a word that's often overlooked, he says, renew, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Renew me, God, I need your renewal. Just like a newborn baby or a baby needs to be fed. We have, we have new, newborn babies in our house, a lot of new babies in our church, wow. And they constantly need to be fed. Just like a newborn baby needs to be fed, a new heart and a new life needs to be spiritually nourished and nurtured. It needs to be nourished. It needs to be fed, constantly fed. 
So we want that feeding to come from the inside. And he says, renew, renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, renew that in my life. The Christian life is not a momentary collision. It is a continuing communion with God. It's not a, it's not a hit and run one-time event. It's not a one-time connection with God. It is a lifelong walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not hit and run. It's not one time. It's not a, a quick collision. And then it's a, it is a continuing process. You came to know Christ, and then you were sanctified. You were set apart. It's an ongoing process of God working in you, consistently working in you. David doesn't just want to create in me a clean heart, oh God. He says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. And renewal, that kind of renewal of the spirit, of our spirit, is the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who renews. It is the spirit who brings to completion the work that was started in us at conversion. We came to know Christ, and now the Holy Spirit continues to renew, continues to renew our lives, continues to help us grow. See, our, in our, at our conversion to Jesus Christ, we became perfect in our standing with God. So when you accepted Christ into your life, you became perfect in your standing with God. So God, when you, when, you have, when you have a relationship with Christ, God no longer sees Jeff Greer. He sees Jesus Christ. So in my standing with God, Jesus' blood covers me. And so God sees his son, Jesus Christ. And so I can enter into the Holy of Holies. I can enter into a prayer time with God. I can speak directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ. But then the Bible goes on to say, but you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. It doesn't mean work your way to God. What it means is that you are perfect in your standing with God, and now day-to-day, -day, that working out that salvation is a day-to-day -day process. And day-to-day, -day, the Holy Spirit internally helps you become more like Jesus Christ, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that is an ongoing process. And this is the kind of change that David was longing for, that he was calling for, that he was seeking. David wanted that renewal. David wanted that, that, that transformation from the inside out. He was begging God to change his life. Have you ever read, if you are an older Christian, I guarantee this is, you've probably done this. Have you ever read Psalm 51 with tears in your eyes? I don't, I don't mean because you read it and thought about David. I mean you read it and thought about David and understood where David was coming from. But you read it and thought about your own life. And those words resonated with you. And so you read Psalm 51 with tears in your eyes. You're, you're broken. And, 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 and I'm sure that you've had a, at least one experience where something has overwhelmed you to the point where you thought to yourself, you, 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 ever, you wondered if you would ever recover from that experience. You, you sat back and you, you've got, you've, all of us have had this experience where we went through something and we thought to ourselves, I wonder if I'm ever going to recover from this. I'm ever, if I'm ever going to be able to overcome this in my life because it was so overwhelming. Maybe something that you brought upon yourself. It's something that you brought upon yourself or maybe something that was external. But all of us have gone through this before. Has, has your mind gone there already? Is your mind going there right now to that, that event, that situation, that, that mistake that you made? Is your mind starting to take you there already? Some of you are in the middle of this crisis or event and you're longing for help and for hope. You know, some of you uh, have come through 
um, this event, but you've never really, you've never fully recovered. You've, you've gone through this in your life, and you know what I'm talking about, and you're past it in the sense that it's behind you, but you've never really fully recovered from that experience, from that decision, whatever it is. Some others, you, know, you look back at the event, and, and you actually have recovered, but then you're fearful of when the other shoe is going to drop, right? You know, you're through it. You've made it through. It's almost like every day you make it through and you're not, you're not some basket case sitting in a corner and you're saying, thank God I made it through. But in the back of your mind, there's this fear of when's the next bomb going to drop? When's the next shoe going to drop? When am I going to experience this again? Because it seems like every time I just get past the one thing, there's something else that is just weighing down on my life and it's becoming overwhelming with a broken heart. I mean, take those feelings Understand that, that the, the burden that you're feeling when you have that event in your life, and with a broken heart, God asked, I mean, David asked God to, to, to create in him a pure heart, to create in me a clean heart. God created me a clean heart, he says, because this is what I need. This is what I long for. I need your spirit to change me in that way. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and a steadfast spirit. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. So what does it mean to be steadfast? Steadfast. What does that mean to, to remain steadfast? Well, steadfast, another good word for ste- like another word that would help describe drive steadfast is staunch. The word staunch. A lot of people know what the word staunch means. We, do, we often describe people um, who have a, a, a real clear loyalty to a person or a thing to be staunch people. That is a staunch liberal. They are staunch conservatives. That person is a staunch Reds or Bengals fan. They are staunch. I mean, there are people that I know in our church who are staunch Browns fans. I mean, think about that. What, you know, that, that kind of describes it for you because why would you want to cheer for a bad team for so long unless you were staunch? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, don't leave the church over that. Come on, you Browns fans. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, all right? But, you know, why, you know it, it, it's, it's a staunch person. A staunch person would never think about changing political parties. They wouldn't think about it. A staunch person would never think about cheering for another team. When I lived in Boston, Red Sox fans, they are staunch fans, okay? They are staunch, they, and they, boy, they had to be 100 years they went or something like that without a World Series. Uh, they, they, would, they would never, never, ever, 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 I think it's against the law, become a Yankees fan, ever. Even if you move to New York, never. They would never because they're staunch they're staunch. They're not going to trade. And this is what we're talking about here. When, when, David, when David's talking in Psalm 51, his prayer, that God would renew a steadfast spirit within him, what he's, what he's basically saying is, God, renew a staunch spirit in me. I don't want to leave you and act this way again. I don't want to be pulled away from you. I don't want to behave in a way that doesn't allow me to be truly in love with you. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Give me a staunch spirit that I will stick by your side. That's what he's talking about. And if we are going to bring about the change that we want to see in our own lives, in our own church, if renovatus is going to mean anything to us, then we need to learn what it means to be staunch, to be steadfast, to be loyal. That's what he's talking about. 
If we want to see true renovation happen, renewal happen in our lives, the rebuilding of our lives, then we need to learn what it means to be steadfast in God. You know, as you probably know, steadfastness is really hard. It is so, it's easy for a pastor or a Bible study leader to talk about some of these things. It is really hard to do. Steadfastness is not only hard, but it usually comes about by pain, through pain and suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, it tells us, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, this does not mean, this verse does not mean that we should leave here today and pray that God would bring pain into our lives so that we can become steadfast. But at the same time, God uses our pain and God uses our suffering to do a great work in our lives. He can do a great work in our lives if we will, if we will allow him, if we'll receive that from him and we'll see things through God's lenses. You know, you often bring this pain into your own life. We often bring it into our own lives just like David. And it is the pain and the suffering of life that often, if we will allow God to use it, will change us completely. Instead of pulling away from God, instead of ignoring God, instead of feeling guilty or whatever else, and then pushing God out of the picture, we need to draw Him into the picture. God will use our suffering and pain to renew and restore us if we will allow Him to do that, if we will just see our lives through His eyes, through His lenses. God can do amazing things. You see, the reality is, my friends, we will never reach our highest potential spiritually without pain and suffering. I'd love to say, I would love to say otherwise. The older I get, the more solidified I become in that position. You cannot grow to the point where God wants you to grow without pain and suffering in your life. It's, I, I, think, I believe, my opinion is, it's impossible to get to where you need to be without it. And, and you know what? It's not that God always brings it into your life. It's that we bring it into our own lives. But even bring it into our own lives, if we will follow God's remedy and repent of what we've been doing and turn to Him, He can restore us and renew us and refresh us and rebuild us. And that's what David is looking for. Psalm 51 was written by David about a year or so after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. While his men are off at war fighting, David is sitting on his rooftop relaxing. He shouldn't have been there. He should have been with his men, but he wasn't. And he's on his rooftop relaxing. And all of a sudden, all kinds of heck breaks loose in his life. And the story results in a series of events that leads from adultery to deception to murder. Why? Because David was trying to hide his sin. He was trying to cover up his transgressions. Instead of realizing, I really messed up here. I really messed up my life here. And instead of doing that, he does what we all do a lot of the time. And, you know, he, he, he thinks, how can I avoid getting caught? And so he goes into this deceptive mode, and he, he kind of he divides himself. And, and he starts thinking, how can I avoid this, and how can I avoid that? And he's not repenting. He's not giving it over to God. He's not even almost seeing the, the depth of his own sin here. And this is what's getting him into trouble. So he does the, he commits adultery. Then the deception, see the heart. Actions, my friends. You know what? As a parent, I spend very little time disciplining actions. I spend almost all of my time disciplining attitudes. 
my children can throw a ball through the window, and I don't like it. We've got to buy a new window. I told them not to throw the ball near the window. That was bad, okay? Throw a ball through the window. Uh, roll your eyes at me, and the end of the world has come. You know why? Because the rolling of the eyes is an attitude of the heart. The throwing the ball through the window is an action. And if I can change the attitude of the heart, I don't have to worry about the actions as much. This is what David's, David's not understanding. He's not seeing the depth of his own heart at this point. He's not seeing it. And, and, and his sin is finally caught up with him. And when he realizes and he recognizes in his sin, and it's finally caught up with him because it was pointed out, he, 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 he starts to weep. He's overwhelmed. He starts to feel incredible grief. He starts to feel this incredible guilt. And through his tears and through his pain, he writes Psalm 51. You cannot write Psalm 51 by skipping through life and saying, oh, have mercy on me, oh God. <laughs> Not that I need it, but... He wrote it in his pain, in his suffering. David writes this. You got to feel the guy's agony here. He, 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 in Psalm 51, you got to listen to his words. I mean, come on, be, you've been there in a sense. Maybe not the depth of where David's been, but you've been there. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. He says, he says blot out my transgressions. Gosh, how could, I, how could I have gotten myself here? This is David. I mean, the Bible calls David a man through God's own heart. And, 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 and here's David. I mean, this, the slays Goliath. God uses him, and he puts himself in this position. He's saying, oh, have, have mercy on me, oh God. How could I sin against you in this way? Blot out my transgressions. He uses words, and it's verses 1 and 2. Cleanse me, wash me of my sin. And that leads to verse 10. That leads up to verse 10, this complete brokenness. David's sin broke him, and he was pleading with his God for a, start, a new start. He wanted a do-over. God, I want you to do, I want to do over. I want to do over in my life. I want to start again. I, I want to begin again with you. Because David replaced steadfastness with corruption, and he couldn't live with his choice. He couldn't live with the consequences. And so he's crying out. This is not some prayer. Oh, uh, God, forgive me for my sins today, for all the ones that I committed. I kind of don't remember a lot of them, but I'm sure I did something. So forgive me. Amen. Good night. That's not what he's doing here. Uh, mercy on me, oh God, for what I've done. And I know what I've done. David is broken. He's broken. And he's saying, I want my purity back. I want my purity back. I want my steadfastness back. I want it back. I want it back, God. You need to help me. And through his pain and through his misbehavior, God, God redeems this broken man. Through his misbehavior, through his sin, God redeems this broken man. He's broken. He's throwing himself at the Lord. You can imagine what, what, his, what, his, what his countenance would have been, what his body language would have been when he's crying and have mercy on me, O oh God, but according to your unfailing love, blot out my transgressions. Like, Don't look upon me, Lord, for all these things I've done. I can't stand it. I can't believe I've gotten so far away. How did I get here for her? You're kidding me. And then I kill her. I kill her husband. What has happened to me? You, please, I need, I need to be where I was before with you. I need you to renew a steadfast spirit within me. I need you to create in me a clean heart, oh God. I need this. I have to have this back. When David asked 
for a new heart and a steadfast spirit, he was, he was echoing, he was, he was echoing, he was, he was capturing the language of the prophet Ezekiel. When, when Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel uh, chapter 18, verses 30 and 31, he says this, therefore, God says, therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all of your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed, and listen, and get a new heart and a new spirit. Get a new heart and get a new spirit. And this is what David was saying, God, I need a new heart and I need a new spirit. I, I, I don't want you, I don't want to be cast out of your presence. I want to be who I used to be. God, help me. And it says, why will you die, O house of Israel? He says, give me, a, God says, ask for a new heart. Ask for a new spirit. I'm a God who wants to give this to you. Ask for it, and I will give it. Through his pain, through his pain and his suffering, David learned the art of being loyal and steadfast, and, and, and he became staunch. He, listen, he became staunch. He became staunch staunch in his pursuit of God and his pursuit of pure relationships. I want you just to bow your heads with me, but I want you to please just keep listening. You and I, all we as Grace Chapel, we need to give our pain, we need to give our sin, and yes sirree, we are going to keep talking about sin and repenting here at Grace Chapel for the years and days that I'm here. I'm not afraid to use words like that to offend anybody. You know what? We need to help each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to tell the truth, and we need to give our pain, and we need to give our sin, and we need to give our failure to Jesus Christ this morning, and allow him to establish us as people of loyalty and steadfastness. Isn't that where we all want to be? Isn't that where we all want to be? We want to be people of loyalty and steadfastness. My friends, sometimes you need to recognize that your life is in ruin before God can rebuild it. And we need to be a church and a place that allows people to admit their life is in ruin so that God can rebuild it. We need to humbly give ourselves to God and he will change us and make our lives something beautiful. He will make something beautiful. God loves to bring beauty out of the ashes and that is what God wants to do with us. Each one of us at different times of our lives put ourselves in a position or are put in a position where we need to lay before the cross and lay it all out and say, God, I need you to restore me. I need you to create in me a clean heart, a pure heart. I need you to re renew a steadfast spirit within me. And God, today, that is the prayer of this church. I pray as the pastor of this church, I echo the prayers that are going on right now, that you would create in us a clean heart, each individual, that you would renew a steadfast spirit within us. That renovatus would not be a word that we use that's kind of cool, but it would be a real transformation in our lives. So Lord, you can use this church to do all that you've created it to do. God, we lay ourselves before you, open and honest, and say we want change, we want transformation, we want renewal, we want to be rebuilt, we want to be forgiven, we want to be restored, we want to be sustained, Lord God, by you. And as you're praying this right now, 
I don't care what the evil one is telling you. You have not done, oh, you've done, you've, you've done so much. He, if, he, if the pastor knew what you've done, he wouldn't be talking to you right now. He'd say, well, you're an exclusion to this, what I'm talking about, because you're so, let me tell you something, you and I, 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 I don't know everyone, but I'm telling you right now, look at what David has done. Look at what David has done. He cries out for a renewed heart. He cries out for a steadfast spirit and, and, and created me a new heart. And God restores this broken man. He can restore the broken man in this church right now. He can restore the broken woman. There's nothing you've done he cannot restore. We will come around each other. We will love each other. We will help each other. We will grow together. There's nothing that you have done as a teenager in this room. If you've, if you've given away your virginity in this room as a teenager, that God can bring about a purity in your life. You may not be able to be a spiritual virgin again, but my friends, you can be a spiritual virgin again. You can ask God to create in you a new heart, a clean heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within you. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, covered by the blood of the Lamb, asking for forgiveness, being renewed day by day, and being more conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I praise you, God, for that. I praise you and thank you in your son's precious and holy and redeeming name. Amen.